0: Hey! Sam's still dead. But do you guys like comics? I love comics. I like prose, but it's a purely business relationship. I punch in words, grab a paycheck, and spend it on more comics. Because if prose lets me eat, comics let me get away for a while. And after a few months of staring at the same four walls, I think we all understand the value of getting away. Naturally, manga's a big part of that. And for me... Like a lot of fans in my age bracket, Shonen Jump was the Rosetta Stone that made getting into manga possible. The U.S. edition was an accessible monthly magazine with people I'd recognized from TV on the cover. It was on the comic shop magazine rack beside Toy Fair, a magazine that largely existed to host Twisted Toy Fair Theater. But that's another retrospective for a different podcast. Since Paper Met Inc., we've had plenty of stories designed to separate young men from their parents' money. But these were my stories, designed to separate me from my parents' money. So the name Shonen Jump has a bit of nostalgia value for me. Not enough to send me into wanky video essay land, babbling for two hours about how Shonen Jump taught me to think, cry, and make love to a woman. I maintain a proud Jamaican emotional distance from every object, and person in my life. But I had just enough nostalgia to buy the Shonen Jump app. Specifically, to pass the time on a 14 hour flight I took before the world ended. I wanted to find out who this Dr. Stone guy was and why he'd taken over cosplay Instagram. Now I've had a lot of time lately. Partially the lockdown, but mostly alienation from labor. I dedicated a sliver of that time to reading almost everything that Shonen Jump is running these days. I crawled that app from top to bottom. From inventive work that reminded me why I love the medium, to manga that reminded me why I tend not to mingle at conventions. This is the biggest comic marathon I've done in a long time, which is to say like two months. But this time, there's a uniting theme. Let's see how the kids are doing. Reviews of Modern Shonen Jump, go. 1. Spy X Family I went into Spy X Family ready to dislike it. Don't blame me, I read it after Ghost Reaper Girl, which is essentially a stylish sex crime. More on that later. Insults aside, most recent romantic comedies haven't spoken to me lately. And that is part, albeit not all, of Spy X Family's creative DNA. But Spy X Family successfully charmed me took me to an undisclosed location, and interrogated me until I gave in. It helps that it's consistently funny, which is a trait that relationship comedies often feel free to skip. Call me churlish. But if you called something a karate opera, I would expect a falsetto and I would expect a roundhouse kick. It also helps that romantic comedy is, again, only one third of the formula. Spy X Family is also an espionage parody and information warfare show. To complete his vague mission, a spy marries a woman and adopts a girl in Not-Berlin. The new bride is secretly an assassin, and the adoptive daughter's secretly a telepath. Information warfare of a comic variety ensues. This premise proves that if you cram enough tropes onto the same page, you get something original. If it sounds like a conceptual concar, car, it is. But clowns can be funny. That's why I did open mics before the world ended. 2. The Promised Neverland. The concept is simple. Three children live in a fairy tale esque house. Then, spoiler, 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 there's a lot of shooting, spoiler, spoiler, the queen is furious, spoiler, 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 kind of a letdown. After starting the anime and then falling off, I was actually excited to read The Promised Neverland. I had important drinking to do back then. still regretted never learning where exactly the series' elaborate puzzle box was headed. Unfortunately, the answer has a slightly empty favor. Which isn't to say the rest of the narrative is bad. The author knows how to write a good character beat, and has an interest in the intractable problems that arise between groups of people that take the influence of Attack on Titan from cosmetic to intellectual. The problem Is that it feels like the same thing happens over and over again. Emma wanders into an impossible situation. Children cry and suffer. Someone shouts that idealism is stupid. Emma retorts that they are stupid, and so are their dumb faces. Idealism wins, move on to the next level. It's like humanism the platform game. The second problem is that while the first few examples of this are pretty organic, The plot starts to contort itself a bit in later iterations. By the final boss fight, a hint of plotting inevitability kinda set in. And yes, a lot of very successful, long-form narratives are the same event on loop. But part of storytelling is keeping audiences from noticing the loop, or at least doing something wanky and postmodern with it. A show's in trouble when I start thinking about screen wipes and the hero's journey instead of the story being told. I think that the promised Neverland is overall a success. It has a strong thematic core, empathy for its characters, and a knack for information warfare spots that pull the work through its weaker moments. But I left wanting a little more substance, or at least variation. And for Rey to do something besides frown and exist. 3. Mashal, Magic and Muscles Mashal is a straight-lift of Saitama into Harry Potter. It is one of the most nakedly market-driven things I've ever seen, and I write ads for a living. In a way, it's a triumph of the individual artist over the committee. A committee might have watered down some of the theft, out of some kind of collective sense of shame or fear of legal reprisal. An original, singular, unfiltered voice was free to steal with enthusiasm. Creative clones are weird for me because I breakdance, and breakdancers are obsessed with the idea of biting. Biting's more than stealing moves. Stealing someone's style, name, or even attitude gets you put on a blacklist with twice the memory of Twitter and four times the invective. I'm not exaggerating when I say that the creator of Mashal could not make it 10 minutes in Queens without ending up on the wrong side of a world star hip-hop video. This time, Saitama's called Bash. In a world of flaming goblets, sorcerous stones, and fantastic beasts, Mash just has muscles. He's a detached, slow-witted power fantasy with a strong sense of justice. He makes Saitama's deadpan face roughly nine-tenths of the time. Can he subvert the rules of a thin parody of Just One Punch? Yes. Yes, he can. You can read something else now. Because I've been dunking on this, I should point out. The sense of physical comedy in Mashal is very finely tuned. Because it's the sense of physical comedy from One Punch Man. One Punch Man is also on this app. You can go read One Punch Man. And if you're out of One Punch Man, you can look a little further and read Mob Psycho 100 elsewhere. Which is, for my money, way better than One Punch Man, and way, way better than Mashal. 4. Kaiju No. 8 Has a series ever made you root for it? Not just for the main character, but for the comic itself? That's kind of how I feel about Kaiju No. 8. It's the strangest thing. I guess this comic has enough elements going for it, and is so close to being a rock star in my niche that I'm really hoping it finds its general way. Kaiju number 8 is very early in its run. In fact, eight chapters as of press time. And presents a few very familiar elements with three key distinctions. Because you've already seen post-apocalyptic cities besieged by monsters. You've seen elite corps of specialists dedicated to taking them down. You've seen a driven lead with the ability to turn into the enemy. But Kaiju number 8 adds a persistent sense of fun... An overall sense of humor that works without trivializing events, and a main character with a different perch on life than anyone else in the magazine. I guess I'm saying that it has Heart. Remember Heart? Pepperidge Farm remembers. Like the comic itself, the main character is an underdog, specifically a washout in his 30s who never made the cut into the elite core of badasses. So instead of that dream, he's stuck cleaning the kaiju corpses. Within a few small scenes, the comic gets the texture of his personality just right. And I find it very charming. The parts of this comic that are working remind me a lot of Megas XLR. And the world can always use more Megas XLR. If you're listening to an anime podcast and haven't seen Megas XLR, I recommend watching a little. After you finish this episode and recommend it to all your equally attractive friends. Keep on kicking ass. 5. A Gravity Boys I avoid giving scores in my reviews, they tend not to capture the real texture of an opinion, and just serve to make the comments section worse. I also REFUSE to believe that moods and tastes as heavy as mine would not put a significant finger on the scale. As much as I'd enjoy leaving pitchfork flame wars in my wake, I have personal standards. A Gravity Boys makes me glad that I make that decision. Because this isn't a comic I could call a consistent 7 or a consistent 3 or a consistent anything. It's one of the spikiest comics I've read in a while. Not spicy, like Domestic Girlfriend. Spiky, like the stock market. It's a comedy with a lot of elements I really like and a lot of elements that make me comatose. The big positive is that it has a great setup for sci-fi comedy. Four explorers are stranded on a lost planet. An advanced alien intelligence that also happens to be a complete dickhead, decides to mess with them for kicks. Simple, brilliant even. I'd say unfuck but evidently it's only occasionally fuck A Gravity Boys is a little too willing to take the easy road with its humor. What Sam calls, you know, anime bullshit when he's here. Not the low road, I love the low road. I live for cheap shots at political or personal enemies. For example, Mitch McConnell looks like an incel version of Franklin the Turtle. But A Gravity Boys is willing to dip into tried and true wells of stock anime jokes that, honestly, kind of drags the rest down for me a bit. But on average, still a fun time. There is fun to be had. Check it out, I'd say. 6. Jujutsu Kaisen Ever think about all those guys on the Cleveland Cavaliers that weren't LeBron James or Kyrie Irving? They're not bad at basketball. They worked at it their entire lives. They were good enough to get, and stay, on a pro team. But if you can remember their names, you are either a true fan, sports reporter, or listening from Cleveland. Say a hi to MGK for me. Now we have Jujutsu Kaisen in Shonen Jump. A spirit detective story in a magazine whose past, present, and future are marked by the same concept. This series is surrounded on all sides by spooky teenage monster hunting premises. And there's no element that's masterful, inventive, insane, or even terrible enough to stand out. Let me be clear, I was never mad reading Jujutsu Kaisen. I never thought, this fight sucks, or I hope this character dies, or who drew this? I simply thought, this exists. It deserves to exist. But it will have to continue doing so without me. By the way, what percentage of Japan are monster hunters at this point? There must be one for at least every two harem protagonists. We need to convince the monster hunters that the harem leads are vampires. 7. Bone Collection Ever think about all those guys on the Cavaliers that weren't LeBron James or Kyrie Irving? They're not bad at basketball. They worked at it their entire lives. They were good enough to get, and stay, on a pro team. But if you can remember their names, you're either a true fan, sports reporter, or listening from Cleveland. Say hi to MGK for me. Now we have Bone Collection, which is notably worse than Jujutsu Kaisen. Where Jujutsu Kaisen is over the plate, Bone Collection is mediocre. There's a difference. Over the plate gets you points on the board. I promise I'm not a gym teacher. Life's just easier with a reference pool that doesn't need the word pantsu. Try it out. Five minutes on ESPN will give all your geek culture hot takes much more palatability. 8. Dr. Stone A compliment for Dr. Stone. I think that Dr. Stone is the reason that A Gravity Boys fell flat for me. Because while Shonen Jump runs two light tales of science fiction survival, Dr. Stone does it so much better I'd be embarrassed to really put them in the same half of the alphabet. It's not the exact same beast. While often amusing, Dr. Stone isn't an out-and-out comedy. It's an action comedy, educational, science fiction, survival, post-apocalyptic. This is why we love manga elevator pitches. Sometimes someone just throws the kitchen sink in. Simply put, a scientific prodigy, wakes up with humanity reverted to the Stone Age, and has to figure out what the hell to do next. The first few arcs are about a tug of war between the science hero Senku and an anarcho-primitivist mixed martial artist, a plot that's interesting, but the comic cannot wait to get back to its heart, jury-rigging modern technology out of seemingly nothing. I'm convinced that the protagonist is going to make a Gundam out of hemp, before Dr. Stone finishes its run. Dr. Stone is probably the only thing in jump that will make your right brain a little smarter, particularly early on. That content is paired with heavy humanism. Every 15 pages, the author stands on a rock, pulls out a megaphone, and shouts, people are fundamentally good, and I can prove it with math. Agree or disagree, it lends the content direction and personality which does wonders for a long runner. I like it. Shonen Jump might be more synonymous with jump kicks and punchlines, but Dr. Stone's strengths lend it variety, which is an indispensable strength for an anthology product like a comic magazine. it can't make Dragon Ball forever. 9. Dragon Ball Super Dragon Ball is the poster child for the Shonen Escalation problem, it went from a monkey fighting some failed mercenaries to gods of karate throwing planet destroying energy discs at each other at will. Every time an early Dragon Ball villain walks down the hallway, a late Dragon Ball villain pushes him in a locker and steals his plot armor. I can see why the creator, Akira Toriyama, finally walked away from the perpetual money machine. Where do I go from here is a problem for any story. But when you are the literal inventor of power levels, It probably feels impossible to raise the stakes in any artful way. But do you have to walk away from all the money? Enter Dragon Ball Super. The manga version is a collaboration between the veteran Akira Toriyama and the illustrator Toyotaro. It's a simple working relationship. Toriyama outlines a plot, then Toyotaro does all the work. On to opinions. Dragon Ball Super is for people that see infinite escalation as a feature. For United States presidents after Raditz, we're left to assume that everyone from the first two series suffered from advanced muscular dystrophy. The real threats are here now, and our heroes need new training to unlock new toys. Forms. I said forms. Since martial arts, space operas, and candy have in mind for escalation, the plot's taken a turn towards the mythological. And this element actually kind of works for it, at least better than science fiction did. It's easier for me to ride with the gods will it than scientific explanations for a planet of weir monkeys. Unfortunately, you're going to walk away a little disappointed if you're just looking for more Dragon Ball Z. Because for all the jokes we make about Toriyama's plots, he was a groundbreaking action draftsman. Dragon Ball Z got away with being kind of stupid because it was exciting to read from panel to panel. No one goes to the X Games looking for literary themes and motifs. I don't think Dragon Ball Super is an inch dumber than Dragon Ball Z, but there's less to look at, and that makes the cracks in the armor more apparent. 10. Chainsaw Man This manga is fucking crazy. Read it. I own enough physical copies of death metal albums to build a plastic house, so I was never going to dislike this. And Chainsaw Man is all the violent antisocial energy, blood, guts, and demonic artwork I can handle. Death metal might be the wrong reference, though. If Helsing was death metal, Chainsaw Man is punk rock. Chainsaw Man is about violence, between the violence There's a story about a debt slave thrown into monster hunting. His alternatives are starving to death or being executed by the government. A little more relatable than becoming the strongest. I really enjoy this one. I'm going to repeat my thesis on stupid action. I am not opposed to stupid action at all. I honestly kind of love it. But don't weigh it down with insulting bullshit on the way. Most properties defended as dumb action are... When you break down the scenes, terrible dramas punctuated by mediocre violence. Though this might not be the time for that old line, since there's a nice countercultural spark behind all of this. Society in Chainsaw Man is utterly fucked wherever we stop to look at it. Multiple members of our main group are functionally slaves of the government, and most people live in tiny Tim levels of poverty. The world is deeply cynical and critical of ours. It is pretty easy to imagine Chainsaw Man as the result of Trent Reznor growing up on Helsing instead. Something that stood out to me. For all the other stories and Jump claiming the protagonist grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, this is the only one that really committed to the lead having a poverty mindset. There's a charm to that. Or, at the very least, it avoids feeling like a cheap add-on, like it does in Ghost Hunter Girl or We Never Learn. Sometimes it's the little things that make or break a character. Also worth noting, I really like the way people are drawn in this one. The monster designs are fun too, which is pretty essential for something nominally about monster hunting. But the people don't have a hint of the same face problem that generally weighs pop manga down, and I really, really openly appreciate that. Keep that up. In short, read Chainsaw Man if you want to know what it's like to be sexually excited by violence. And get a pack of cigarettes for when you're done. 11. We Never Learn We Never Learn is a high school harem comedy wherein one of the main characters is a literary savant. If you have listened to me talk before, you're filling in the rest of the review in your head. My list of creative do's and don'ts are an open secret. I'm here to surprise you. We Never Learn isn't awful. It's on the fault line between bad and aggressively mediocre. Our resident sex magnet, or booty phage as I like to call them, is a young aspiring academic. His gimmick is that he's sort of like Mario. Three stars in every subject, but never four. He has to tutor three girls that are savants in one subject, and Republican governors in the others. Over time, other girls decide that they want to marry him too. But his situation's like Pokemon. You're always more attached to your starter. I've said that the worst insult that you can give to these harem shows is saying that they feel like they were stitched together by marketers. This isn't that. For me, We Never Learn feels like a romantic comedy put together by a team of scientists. They have the formula for feelings. Now they want to test it in different permutations and environments, to see if the elements react the same way. Unfortunately for the long-term readability of this comic, they definitely do. We Never Learn never really launches on the comedy half of romantic comedy. There's a large number of jokes, they are numerous. But once you've seen someone trip into breasts once, it loses its effect. Ten times, and you stop registering it. A hundred, and you wonder how many chapters you have to read to perform a legitimate review. In my case, about sixty. Twelve, Burn the Witch. This is a limited series by Tite Kubo. If memory serves, an anime is coming. I hope it works out well, or at least provides dadas entertainment on par of the Aizen fights. Bleach always made me feel like a happy bully. I came back to it the way that a high school quarterback comes to the kid that collects bugs. Slapping Bleach around provided me with a sustainable form of entertainment. But that was late stage Bleach. The manga started off with a shot. And a sense of style that you can't really deny. And so far, for the most part, Burn the Witch has a lot of that. There's that early Bleach excitement of seeing these hyper-fashionable people fight monsters that don't look like Dragon Quest rejects. And I feel for Kubo, really. Or at least a version of him in my head. For all I know, the real Kubo feeds puppies to woodchippers. But my imaginary Kubo is a guy that wants to draw cool stuff, and use cool layouts, and there are these weird things called stories in his way. And no matter how stupid Bleach got, A lot of the pages and designs could not have been drawn by anyone else. I'm going to give Burn the Witch the opposite of the advice that critics usually give action creators. In my opinion, art doesn't have to be art. Don't get too wrapped up in your world. Forget making a statement about relationships or society. Focus this comic on the runway clothing and explosions, and you'll end up with something that is empty calories at worst and potentially kinetic fun. I wonder what it would take to introduce him to the folks at Trigger. 13. Ghost Reaper girl. Here's a quote from the first chapter, Lolitas are meant to be admired. Here's a trivia question. Is this character talking about A. Fashion, B. Nabokov, or C. Minors? It's C. It's always C. On some level, I've come to accept that this trend will outlive this podcast, and probably outlive me. But I'm going to keep making fun of you people until then. To be clear to the Lolly community, you are wrong. I am right. Intellectually, morally, and spiritually. History will judge you. On to the review proper. This new series is essentially a softcore lolicon version of Ghostbusters. Arch tone, parodies of modern life, ghosts that occasionally look like Slimer, and more monsters and mouths than Alien 2. Unfortunately, this version of Ripley is 12 years old. The dialogue says she's an adult, but the dialogue is lying. The author replaces, she's actually 2000 years old, with, she's actually 30. A better lie. A smarter lie but instantly betrayed by my eyes. I'd say I liked the art if the author did not love him some illegal booty. As it stands, Ghost Reaper Girl is closer to a stylish crime scene. A very stylish crime scene. It's honestly a bit baffling to draw this well, to draw this. Now, style is worth something. If you're looking for this kind of... content, I recommend getting it here. Just remember, you are wrong, I am right. Intellectually, morally, and spiritually, history will judge you. 14. Magu-chan, God of Destruction Remember what I said about One Punch Man having one joke? Magu-chan, God of Destruction, has the same thing going for it, or against it. If great elevator pitches are manga's superpower, narrow premises are its kryptonite. That said, Magu-Chan has an important weapon, Charm. It has that bounce to it that Nicktoons often reached for, but seldom reached. Setup. Magu something or other, a former demon lord from a generic fantasy setting, gets his ass beat. It happens. I tried playing fighting games in Akihabara, so I can relate. Sometimes, when you aim for the stars, your ship explodes like the challenger. A buoyant young girl stumbles onto his eternal slumber. She has a backstory sad enough to inspire empathy, but not sad enough to kill the mood. Probably the way to go for this kind of story. The world isn't ready for another shadow star. In fact, 12 years later, I don't think I've recovered. Without spoiling too many punchlines, the one joke is Magu-chan's Melodramatic sensibility versus the girl's braindead kindness. There's a lot of dialogue about puny humans in the vein of HK-47's old meatbag lines, but I'll give this a pass. That's more of a dead horse trope in the States. So yeah, it's a magical pet story with a splash of Invader Zim. Fun, but not life-changing. The anime version may sink or swim based on who they get to voice the screaming ball of death They may even want to see if the Zim guy is bilingual. 15. My Hero Academia. It's good. Next. Alright, I'll give you a little more than that. Since My Hero Academia essentially started out as a Naruto remake, I've been interested to see how things would hold up once it started standing more on its own two feet. Or if it would start standing on its own two feet at all. As the world's most qualified talent scout, I am proud to say it's exceeded my expectations. My Hero Academia is the rare, breakaway battle manga hit, backed by actual quality. As One Piece tiptoes closer to an actual ending, it should give the editorial board something to live for in the aftermath. 16. One Piece. One Piece has been around for over two decades. You know your opinion on One Piece. Reviewing One Piece is like reviewing Ham. There's already a sensory experience in your head. You're either in or out. 17. In Review That's my impression of gluing my cell phone to my face for two weeks. This binge had more rises, falls, and power-level readouts than election news, but with far more compelling results. Even the worst series found interesting new avenues in which to suck. The question hovering in the air. Dinard, you were essentially born a boomer, and you're 15 years closer to being one than when you started reading Shonen Jump. Is what the kids are reading these days worse than what you had? I have an answer. Not a joke, not an anecdote. Not a metaphor. A straightforward answer to New American Shonen Jump versus Old American Shonen Jump. Based, mind you, entirely on the digital collection presented on this app. I think Shonen Jump is much better now. The word of the day is variety. Yes, the word Shonen pins the content to a certain genre and demographic. But the Shonen Jump of 2020 seems very open to pushing what that means. I like that. Look at the spread of content in today's review. There are spies, superheroes, whatever you call Goku, and a sexual vampire posing as a tutor. More importantly, there's Chainsaw Man read Chainsaw Man. And yeah, not all of it's high art. But anthologies always have that problem. I grew up reading Bleach. Bleach. For hundreds of chapters. Because it was there, and easier than thinking about the war in Iraq. So thank you, Kubo. There's more Aizen in my subconscious than Dick Cheney. This has been Weaboo Hell Super. Thank you for listening to Weaboo Hell Super. I am Denard Dale, a.k.a. Denard Dale. It's Hell. Oh, yeah, go to um, WeabooHell.com and or CMoreEvil.com. On Twitter, I am evil. On Instagram, I am just CMoreEvil. And Sam barely exists on the internet, so if you want more Sam, you're just going to have to listen to more of this show. Thanks for your time. Have a great one. I have to make a small revision to the We Never Learn review. In a profile in Human Fucking Cowardice, the creator of that one has made alternate endings where each individual waifu ends up with the main character. And I'm pretty sure that's, like, where art dies as a concept. Like, I think that's just the outer limits of human pandering. Like, if you are afraid of just getting strange smelling pocky hawked at you by like the international neats reading your comic you need to examine yourself that's how fucking republican senators are born you know what I'm saying but I'm not calling the creator a coward I'm calling them a gutless coward peace